unless you want to talk about you, who you are, and I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. I never wanted to be a mom. Well, sharing it with you is one thing. Carrying it alone the rest of my life. Always being compared to you. You're perfect. Hello, old sport. You are listening to I Saw It in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kix, and this is my film pal, Ryan Silberstein. Each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. Today, we are thrilled to have our first guest on the program, a writer and contributor to Movie John, Matthew Crump. Hey, Matt, what's shaking? How much? How are you guys doing? Good. Good. So something I was wondering, Matt, is how did you find Movie John? Because I know like you recently started writing Right, for us. that's a good question. I actually um, found, you, found out about you guys at the Philly Zine Fest last October, I want to say. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I don't know who I met, but they were both really cool. And they told me about Pizza Man. Or no, I'm so sorry. Pizza. Oh my gosh. What's it called? No, that's right. <laughs> okay, it Pizza is Pizza Man. Man. That is probably me. Yeah. I made a short film in November and actually it's in the process of being edited right now. Hopefully it's going to be ready to be shown by the oh, summer. Oh, I did not realize that I talked to you probably. I thought it was like... Um, cause I, cause I, a million, right. Well, I bought, I bought, um, oh my God. I bought the zine that was bad moms and they all have little pictures and I didn't see, like, I only saw one of the people in the, does that make sense what I'm saying? Like the little profile pictures. No, I was like, does. I only recognized yeah. one of the people <laughs> from the Philly zine fest. Okay. Before we get to the question, we like to share what we've been watching lately. And we've deemed this segment as flick picks. So Matt, since you're the guest, why don't you kick things off? What's something that you've been watching? Um, a movie I watched recently on Netflix, actually, which I've been meaning to see for a while, was 20th Century Women. Right. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I, I like that yeah, movie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I only have seen it that once, but I I wasn't really sure what I was, how I was feeling about it for much for most of the movie. I liked, I thought the characters were all really, really interesting, but I had, I was having a hard time believing some of their, like, not even like their actions, their actions were definitely relatable, but it was more like the way they talked to each other. I just couldn't, I wasn't sure if, <laughs> I couldn't imagine myself ever talking to anyone like that. But then, <laughs> so I was like, kind of like on the fence about the movie. And then the, the last like 30 minutes, I found myself like completely enthralled, so invested in these characters. And I wound up like bawling my eyes out <laughs> with the ending. <laughs> And like happy cry, not like so that I felt like it was a very appropriate movie for this episode. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that movie. And I actually went back and watched some of his mm. other films. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do recommend watching it. It, it was, was really cool great. to see. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say it was cool to see Greta Gerwig act because I don't think I've ever actually seen her act before, believe it or not. I've only oh. ever watched her the movie she's directed. So that was the biggest reason why I watched it. Cool. Oh yeah, no, she's really good in that. Um, my favorite movie, I think. Well, no, Lady Bird's probably my favorite, but I the the movie where I really like sat up and noticed Greta Gerwig properly was Frances Ha, which she didn't direct, but she co-wrote and starred in. 
her uh i, I think they're married her husband noah bombach uh directed it um and it's about a 27 year old girl and i was like 26 or 27 at the time it came out and it has that same kind of mix of you know, uh, challenges and growth and, you know, kind of happy cries and all that, all, all that fun stuff with it too. So it definitely. And isn't that, that on Netflix or it used to be, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. Yeah. It definitely, I think it's a criterion mm. movie too. So it, is. it might be, if it's not on Netflix, it might be on okay, there. Okay. It's actually on both Netflix and the criterion channel. Excellent. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So Ryan, what did you pick for this week? So the movie that I picked is also a streaming movie. It's uh, an Amazon Studios release, uh, Blow the Man Down, uh, which I missed last fall at the Philadelphia Film Festival um, because of a scheduling conflict. But like everybody I know, including my wife who saw it, um, said you have to watch it as soon as you can. Um, So luckily I was able to, uh, well, I had to watch this at home, but I was looking forward to seeing it in the theater. But um, it's a main set uh, New England crime drama uh, starring two young women who, you know, there's one big mistake at the center of the movie. And as they kind of uh, try to finagle their way out of it, they discover that their town has a big secret and that their uh, recently deceased mother was part of it. So it's a really uh, just engaging and interesting movie. It's very well written. Um, the writer directors are both women and it, it really it's a very female centric crime story, which I feel like we don't get to see all that often. Yeah, I actually saw that movie at TIFF and then it played at the Philly Film Festival, like you said, and I loved it. I, I was so glad that it got picked up. Because mm-hmm. I just thought it was like one of those movies that was really fun to watch, too. Yeah. And it's it's about real things. It has like every performance in it is great from the two leads all the way down. Like the supporting cast is like it's a bunch of people that you recognize, even if you don't know their names, you know, and they're female character actors, which, again, like I feel like don't often get kind of the spotlight treatment. So it's it's a really fun movie, but also, you know, takes takes the issue seriously but does it in a way that's very fun i kind of when i reviewed it for cinema76.com i compared it to hell or high water okay i could see that um you know or like a breaking bad like it it, it has that kind of feel of like you know are these good people or bad people like are these good people who did a bad thing and now have to live with the consequences or are these people who were always not good people and now we're just seeing that kind of manifest Right. And you said it was on Amazon Prime, right? Mm -hmm. Well, for my pick, I'm going to go with an older film that was new to me, The Fly from 1958. (laughs) So I I had never seen this before, but I picked it up at Best Buy. You know, ever dig in those bins that they have? (laughs) I'm frequent there. <laughs> well, Same. yeah, it's always so fun because you don't know, like, there could be a treasure in there. But this was only $5 and it was a Blu-ray. And so I picked it up and I realized, like, there are several versions of The Fly. I have not honestly seen oh, any wow. of them. So this was like my first entry. Yeah. But I definitely want to go back now and watch the Cronin. Yeah, that one's so infamous. It looks really gross. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I still want to watch it. Yeah, I've also never seen uh, a fly. (laughs) Never ever. The the closest I get to is... Not even in the summer? (laughs) The the closest I get to... (laughs) 
Well, um, I mean, I've never seen a version of The Fly, yeah. I mean, the, the closest I get is uh, Baxter Stockman from the Teenage Mutant mm. Ninja Turtles, um, who, like, that whole character is a, a riff on The Fly from the, like, 80s, 90s animated series. So that's the closest okay. I've gotten. But I, it's it's been on my list to check out for a while, like, any well, version. Well, the 58 version, I mean, it's beautiful to look at. It's in Technicolor. It is about a scientist that has a horrific accident when he tests out his new invention, which happens to be a teleportation device. But this movie, like, I felt very seen in it because there is a line that a character says that he eats and sleeps in his lab. And it reminded me of myself that I will just, because I have a room in my house that I call my lab and I will just stay in there all night, like toiling on different projects. And I call them experiments that I'm working on. Ryan, you seriously have to check out this film. It it was great. And I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah, I've definitely been enjoying more and more uh, films from the 50s in particular. I would definitely have to give that a watch as soon as I can. Cool. And I think it definitely helped me find my Halloween costume for this year. Oh, boy. I I had this idea, like, yeah, when I was watching it, it would be really cool to dress as the fly, but you're Columbo. (laughs) Because at the end, he's like wearing this like trench coat and I don't know. It just seemed like it would be really great. Like a fly. Oh, I can see it. I can see it. So, all right. Those are our picks. Um, Are you guys ready to get to the question? Yeah, I think so. Here's the question for this week. We got a question. Dear, I saw in a movie. What movie is guaranteed to give me a cathartic cry? Sincerely, Weeping Wanda. Matt, being that you're the guest, do you want to try to tackle this question first? Yeah, I think for me, the movie that all never fails to make me cry is uh, the 1998 Christopher Columbus film, which is hilarious that his name is Christopher Columbus, but um, Stepmom with Julia Roberts and Susan Sarandon. Um, It's basically the movie is about these two women who are sort of in combat with each other for most of the movie about how they want to be mothers. Uh, Susan Sarandon is more of like a suburban stay-at-home mom with uh, her ex-husband, Ed, who is played by Ed Harris, is now dating Julia Roberts, who's like this this like high-end fashion photographer in New York, I think. So they come from like very different worlds, and they're both trying to raise the same set of kids. So it doesn't sound like it would be super emotional, but it winds up, like, especially if you have any kind of like experience with divorced parents... Uh, you can really relate to the kids and what they're going through. You can also relate to all the decisions that the the parents are making. What they think is best for the kids really does seem to be best for the kids, but it's often in conflict with each other. So there's also a huge, I like, and I'm scared to like say like why it's actually very sad because I feel like it's a big spoiler. Yeah, you can. Okay. Spoil. I didn't know if this was like a spoil friendly yeah, I mean, zone. Like, I, like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not all that concerned about spoilers, and I think you know if you haven't seen Stepmom, and it's been right. 1998, I think the, uh, the right the you've had adequate time to see it. I feel like okay, cool, cool, and it's not like like this is. And if you have it, you 
you could pause it right now and go watch 100%. it and come back. Okay, so that's why my like synopsis was kind <laughs> so. of like awkward because I was like, how do I tell them that Susan Sarandon has cancer? So Susan Sarandon's character ha- is diagnosed with cancer, but she decides to like, for the sake of her kids and for the sake of the family, she decides to keep it a secret for like the majority of the film. And then uh, just gets it gets to this point where uh, she's she's like terminal. Like she knows she's not going to live and she has to tell everyone. Uh, and so there's this really, really riveting scene. Like sometimes I make it through like about an hour without crying. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I won't cry this time. And then this scene hits where Julia Roberts and Soon Sarandon sit down at a restaurant and they, they're talking about how, basically how Julia Roberts is going to have to raise these kids now by herself when Susan, well, when Soon Sarandon is gone. And maybe I should be using their character names, but whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm just like, like they are Susan Sarandon, Julia Roberts to me. Like, like just, <laughs> that's who they are. That's who yeah. they are. Um, totally fine, yeah. So anyway, she's, she's telling her, like Julia Roberts characterized this super intense moment where she's telling, where she's telling the other mother how she doesn't feel like she's good enough. Like how Susan Sarandon is the perfect mother. She'll never be able to fill her shoes. And she's picturing like down the road at the little girl's wedding when she's like older and getting married how she's just afraid that she's going to wish her mom was there. And then soon Sarandon says, uh, and my fear is that she won't. And it's just so, <laughs> it's too much to handle <laughs> all at once. And, <laughs> and you know what, even though this movie is like definitely very like sad and it still manages, I think what makes it so cathartic for me is that it still manages to capture how much this like sense of optimism and, all of the good that can be wrapped up in a really sad situation. So like the movie actually, I mean, every other cancer movie, you would think that this movie would end with students Saran and dying. It actually doesn't. It, you know, you've watched, you've spent like an hour and a half of the movie watching these two women really kind of like duke it out with each other. And slowly, like very slowly, they start to, I wouldn't even say become friends, but they start to like understand each other's perspectives more, which is really like a beautiful thing that the, that the movie manages to do. But then at the end, after all this animosity, it's Christmas morning, and they, it's, it's I mean, it's going to be Susan Sarandon's last Christmas, so it's, like, very, very emotionally raw. Like, she's basically, like, says goodbye to her kids, and not goodbye, but she, like, gives them their last Christmas present, so, and they're very heartfelt presents. So, anyway, then the movie ends with them all taking a family picture, and, and remember, Julia Roberts' character is a photographer, so she has this camera set up, and she's ready to take a picture like the last family portrait of them with the dad and the two kids and the mom. And at the very last second, Susan Sarandon, um, before the camera flashes, she says, get, get in the picture, like come over here, get in the picture. And that's how the movie ends. It's like them all taking like a full family picture. And it's so like, even thinking about it now, I'm just like, Oh, what a way to end. What a way to end that movie. Like to show how far these characters have come with each other. Hearing you describe it again because as I mentioned earlier right. I remember watching it like shortly after it came out you you think you're gonna stop crying and then it's like she gives the kids the presents and you're like nope the waterworks are back on and then, and then they take this picture and you're like Jesus Christ will I well, ever stop crying like well shortly after it came out I I honestly remember I think my mom had taken me to see it like we went to see it together and my mom's father like had recently passed mm. away from cancer and we didn't 
realize that it was a cancer. They hit it. They really hit it in the the promotional materials. Yeah, they did. So when my mom and I saw it, I do remember that we were just both crying (laughs) the whole time. And then like it kind of scarred me. And I and even working in video stores, I remember I would see it and basically be like, no, I'm not watching it again. Because like I just didn't want to feel gutted right. again from it. Yeah. Uh, so I have not seen this movie, but I knew it was a cancer movie, and I think that's okay. why I haven't still have not seen it because the cultural osmosis of this being just a sad. I don't know. Cancer movies is like a, a like a subgenre that I struggle with because it's like that. It's that slow march that I. It's just really, it's just really hard to get. It's through a really hard thing to will yourself to and, watch. And like, not... oh, I'm gonna sit down. It's like when somebody's like, nobody's ever like, oh, I can't wait to go home and watch the boy in striped pajamas. Like, who wants to do that? Like, you have to really like emotionally prepare yourself. Right. right. And I think especially when this movie back then, I mean, not not that you can't die from cancer now. Obviously, you can, but especially in the '90s, it was like if you found out you had cancer, mm. you were you were gonna die. Like, that was it. So I feel like now there's definitely more optimism of like, oh, there's different types of treatment that they can do and try and it may work. Whereas I feel like, especially when my grandfather had cancer, it it was Mm -hmm. devastating. Like, it was just, well, that's it, you know? And I think that's another reason like the movie made such an impact on me because I could relate to like, oh my God your life is over and yeah I think for me like Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear your perspective because you you were probably like like a young adult when you first watched it I was 15 yeah and I was I was like seven Mm -hmm. when I first saw this movie so what it's funny and maybe that's why I have such like a nostalgic attachment to it because like I just remember like watching it in the basement with my sister we went through the whole Julia Roberts canon together one summer And this movie just like caught us so off guard because we were young and we were probably relating, definitely relating more to the two kids in it um, with like dealing with the divorced parents because we, we, you know, our parents divorced and had both remarried at that point. And I think like, I'm sure like when I was crying as a kid, it was, it was like, I probably didn't even understand what cancer was yet, you know? And now like when I watch it, it's like, it's like a culmination of, I mean, yeah, like, it's like, I don't think of this movie as a cancer movie. It's, I mean, it totally is, but I just don't think of it as one. I think of it as like a very like, because they, they really do try to like, what's the word? Infuse so much optimism and hope, even in such a bleak um, situation at the end. Because, yeah, but I don't know. It is, it's just like, it makes you, it makes you have to cope with your morality, I guess. So that's what's really hard about it, but. It also, they should have, like, warned people. Like, it's that feels kind of, like, thinking about 1998, like, <laughs> the people who, like, flopped to the theaters to see Whereas, these two Hollywood, where, like, you know, top grade-A actresses or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Huge stars. And I think now, like, when you see trailers, often they're Too much. Yeah, it's like you watch the whole it. movie sometimes. Whereas, like, yes, I agree, like, with this one, they really hid that piece from it. That you're just like, oh, I'm going to go watch this movie about, you know, people getting divorced and the dad is now with like this younger woman and you just think it's going to be like a divorce <laughs> right. film. And it takes a hard turn left not. at some point. Like, it's like, she like, it does. I love, but like the most iconic scene is definitely Susan Sarandon 
just getting blazed out of her mind in the backyard <laughs> and her kids like unexpectedly come home and she's like shit like she has to like throw her like medicinal marijuana out and, and like explain why she bought plane tickets to to LA cuz Julie Roberts thinks she's like dipping out on them but she's like no it's my it's my doctor right. um, and that's the moment that you find that like Julia Roberts mm-hmm. finds out but yeah it's really it's it's a funny scene not really funny at all it's it's just like i'm just like damn that's... <laughs> <laughs> just like imagine being like high out of your mind and having so, to like deliver this news to your like husband's new lover like this is a lot <laughs> for her so ryan yes. what did you pick to answer this question sure um so i was thinking a lot about the kind of crying uh that was mentioned in the question um so i was thinking a lot about uh, what a cathartic cry is and like the you know catharsis is really all about psychological relief and kind of uh some some form of acceptance because you've like gotten through your emotions so that led me to a favorite movie of mine uh which is uh goodwill hunting directed by gus van sant now i have not watched this movie in a few years uh because ever since robin williams passed away i've just been unable to cope with the idea because this movie destroys (laughs) me normally and so like (laughs) knowing that he's not around and it's it's one of my favorite performances of his like i can only imagine the the additional magnitude at which i would just be an emotional wreck after watching watching this but you know the the movie is about will hunting played by matt damon he's a secret genius who is from the southeast section of boston and is like a poor kid who has had a, a rough life. He works as a janitor at MIT and he gets discovered because he's solving like unsolvable math problems at night while he's mopping the floors. And, you know, he gets into a fight and he hits a cop. And instead of him going to jail, the math professor that's discovered him is like, all right, look, if he studies math with me and he like goes to counseling, he he shouldn't have to go to jail. And so the judge agrees. And that's when he's eventually paired with Sean, who's played by Robin Williams, and the that's kind of the core relationship in the movie. He also has a romantic relationship with Minnie Driver's character, and of course his best friend uh, Chucky is um, played by Ben Affleck, but it's really through his therapy, and like what, what I find so cathartic and so moving about this movie is that Will Hunting is a person that like everybody around him can see the pain that he's going through even though he refuses to engage with it at all. And so he's like a very smart person whose life is very stunted where like he hasn't really left Boston. He hasn't pursued opportunities because all of this pain makes him self-sabotage anything that he's going after. And he goes through a couple therapists before he meets Sean. And there's a, a couple of great like monologues and back and forth scenes where, you know, Sean is the first person to ever kind of like call him on his like emotional stuff and to really like, point out that oh like yeah you're saying this and like you're kind of using your circumstances to shield yourself from having to grow out of it and from having to deal with it and you have all these defense mechanisms and because you're so smart people like will agree with your defense mechanisms and like he really just pushes through that and challenges him you know like the relationship between the two of them sort of grows and changes and you know like he points out that Will is very, very book smart and very like well read and he understands philosophy and Shakespeare, but he has never seen like the Sistine Chapel. Like, he could write a book about Michelangelo, but he can't tell you what it smells like. 
uh, at the Sistine <laughs> Chapel, you know, and he hasn't seen these things for his own eyes because he hasn't taken any opportunity to do those things. You know, he hasn't he doesn't have life experience to go along with all of this book knowledge. And so there's, you know, a scene which is very famous towards the the end of the film where they both discover that they're victims of abuse growing up and he repeats over and over to Will that it's not your fault. Like all the stuff that you that happened to you, it's not your fault. And he just repeats it over and over until, you know, he finally hears it and he starts crying <laughs> and then I start crying when I'm watching it. And it's just a really you know, it's a really heartwarming movie because it's about the things that are important in life and how we get in our own we get in our own way um of actually getting those things and like one of my favorite things in the movie is when uh, ben affleck's character says like his like the best part of his day when he is when he like knocks on will's door to like pick him up for work and like hoping that he's not going to answer because he's actually just left and has like moved on to something actually like worthwhile and like you know i feel like in a lot of other movies that like the friend character would be like kind of holding them back and being like, no, I don't want to lose you. I don't want things to change. But like, he's so like everyone in Will's life is so supportive of him because they recognize that he is a good person that is struggling with all this stuff. And like, I think that's what really kind of gets to me is that sort of like support network and like people being kind to someone who like is kind of an asshole sometimes. Yeah. I, I definitely need to go back and revisit this one. And coincidentally, this was another film that I saw with my mom she would take us sometimes there was like a second run like movie house where we lived and like it was like a dollar fifty to go see a movie and she had taken us to see Goodwill Hunting but mind you my brother and I were both very I think too young to be mm-hmm. watching this movie and I the only thing I really recall from it is that there were a lot of efforts <laughs> <laughs> throughout the movie and my brother and I could not believe that my mom took us to see this but I don't think she knew like I, I don't think she knew that it was oh it rated is rated R. R I didn't realize that I think just for language I mean there's kind of a sex scene with mini driver but I don't I don't know if it's like r-rated worthy because it's like i said it's been it's been a little bit my uh f-word surprise like surprise r-rated movie is when I went with my grandmother to see phone booth um <laughs> So, but that's that's that's, another, that's a story for another time. Yeah, great. My my grandmother would take us to things that were in. I think that's like yeah. No, I think but that's like the rule. If you're like a grandma, so. you just take your grandkids to. Well, you don't even look at the rating. You just take them to see what they want to see. You don't care. Oh yeah, right. yeah. We both enjoyed. We both enjoyed the movie and had a good time. It was just like, that you were with I your grandma. <laughs> Everything. When right. I watched this movie. Um, I guess I was in high school, and I I remember crying, but I remember like being cognizant of the fact that I wasn't crying at the right moment. <laughs> like I remember it was it was a scene with Minnie Driver actually, and I'm try I tried to look at a, I don't know I think it's like where they're where they're breaking up, and she has some like really scalding mm. line that she says right before she leaves, and for some reason it just sent me over the edge, and I can't remember what the line was. Maybe you remember, but but yeah, I was like I. I should probably be crying at the like uh, big reveal in the therapy session, but I said so I was crying about Minnie Driver, which is not the focus of the movie at all. Well, I mean, it is and it isn't because at the end, you know, he's like uh, he turns down the uh, like the math job that he was going to get because he's like I got to go see about a girl because Minnie Driver wants right, to, right. wants him to move to California with her, and so like it is. I mean, 
you know, like I said, the movie is about trying to figure out what's most important in your life. And, you know, part of uh, Robin Williams characters like backstory is that he skipped game six of the World Series, which is like legendary to go on a date with the woman who became his wife, uh, who then like later passed away. So, you know, it's it's about like making the choices about the things that are important to you. So I think the I mean, the romantic story is a huge part of the movie. And I think you know, for me that there's so many aspects of this that are emotional because there is that big scene. But again, even the stuff with Ben Affleck, the stuff with Minnie Driver, like all of it, like I, whenever I watch this movie, I end up feeling very like raw and like really like I've like gone run like a whole, yeah, whole set of emotions. (laughs) So I'm just curious, do you rewatch it often? Like, even though, you know, it's going to make you feel that. Let's see. I want to say that I first saw this movie probably 10 years ago. So I didn't see it, you know, I was too young for it when it came out, even though I was very aware of the movie because uh-huh. it, you know, exploded Matt Damon and Ben Affleck onto the scene. And, you know, later in like high school and college, I got into like Kevin Smith movies and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's a movie that I, because like, I don't leave it feeling sad because it is a very hopeful, optimistic movie at the end. And I think for me, that's like, that's the key is that I know I'm going to feel okay uh-huh. when it's all over. And so, you know, it it's not a movie I'm just going to like throw on after right. I've had a hard day at work, <laughs> you know, but it's the kind of movie that every now and again, you know, especially I think when I feel like I'm dealing with something that I'm not handling very well, or if it's, you know, a time where I'm just feeling very emotional, it's 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 a movie that I might take some Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Time. I feel like it's, I feel kind of embarrassed that like I have the same relationship with Stepmom. Like Good Will Hunting's like a very like Oscar nominated, like renowned film (laughs) and stepmom was just this like throwaway summer like thing well i mean i don't know i i i know a lot of people that really love stepmom and you know i i don't think that it's you know i think the you know i think the broader recognition for goodwill hunting is is certainly well deserved but there's i mean there's many other movies that i could pick there's no i wanted to say there's no bad (laughs) movies but that's not that's not entirely true there's no uh there there aren't like if a movie causes you to make to have a strong emotional reaction to it, there's definitely value there. Yeah. And I think it's when, you know, the time and place that you're at when you see something. Cause yeah, a movie that may seem silly to some, it could be very meaningful to you, like mm-hmm. maybe who you watched the movie with or the time or the moment that you were in. So I don't know. I don't think any pick is really silly. I don't know. It can be meaningful to different yeah, people. No, I, yeah, that makes sense. I just think, I feel like we all picked very like different <laughs> like movies, which is interesting. Shows how emotions can be conjured up yeah. from such different, different reasons. Yeah. So speaking of which, Rosalie, do you want to tell us about the movie that you, you picked for this question? Yeah, sure. So I, I have to be honest to start. I, I really don't cry that much during movies. Uh, I think the last movie that I, because I was thinking about this when I saw the question come through, the last movie that I remember just like sobbing during was probably Mm. The Florida Project. And I don't know if either of you saw that movie, but it tells the story about a group of kids that live in a rundown motel, which happens to be right next to Walt Disney World. And basically the people living there are basically homeless, but they're living in this motel. And I don't know, I saw this movie at 
at the film festival and I got so choked up during like several moments of it. But by the end, I was like absolutely wrecked and sobbing. And I own this movie, but I still have not rewatched it. So that the reason I brought it up is because I don't know if I find comfort in crying. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because with The Florida Project, uh, that's a movie that I enjoyed very much. I think it is very good. Uh, I have no plans to ever watch it again because... Because I think, I think the difference is that like I find Goodwill Hunting, and I I I feel like I would feel similarly about Stepmom, Matt, based on your description, mm-hmm. is that it's a weirdly like it's very emotional, and it does make me cry, but it's also empowering in a way. And I think Florida Project left me not feeling very hopeful about the future for those kids or the real life people that you know inspired the movie, and so like walking out feeling kind of like helpless you know or like not feeling like like things are going to turn out well for those people i think that makes me more right i think that's the key i think that's the key you're you're hitting the nail on the head there is that like if you can't i basically like if you can't see past the end of the film for if you can't see what the characters futures are like after the film with and without it feeling bleak then it's not going to be very cathartic it's just gonna make you feel worse like I think, like I love the way you said that, Ryan. Like there are some movies that I'm like, "Yep, I've seen that, and I will never see that again." And that's like, I can think of, I can think of like four movies off the top of my head, and I'm like, yeah. I love all of them, but they're just not like, they're too hard. Like they're just too hard. Right, and then like for me, like the reason, for example, that I ended up buying the Florida Project is because I thought it was such a great film, and I wanted to support it, but now it's just like sitting on my shelf. But That brings me to, I do always find comfort in films, like when I am not feeling so great or I'm just down. And I will often turn to melodramatic love stories, which frankly often will lead me to have a good cry. And that's why for this question, I immediately thought of the 1954 Douglas Sirk film, Magnificent Obsession, starring Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman. So I'll just give an, an overview, but it's it's another Technicolor film, and I actually own the Criterion edition, which I highly recommend. But it tells the story of Bob Merrick, who is played by Rock Hudson, who we first meet. He's like driving this high-speed boat on the lake but honestly i feel the boat like oh my god you're so right rocket ship but it kind of speaks to his character because his character is you know very loud he's reckless and you know as we get to know him more throughout the film we realize like the community basically sees him just as this rich playboy and they find him to be very annoying and then there's helen phillips who's played by jane wyman and she is i would say a middle-aged woman she just recently got married to the town well community doctor named wayne phillips And the story opens, it hits you right in the gut right away. Wayne suffers from a heart attack. And Helen was just in the process of like literally going to the house to celebrate their anniversary and finds out that he passed away. And to make matters worse, he passed away because he, I guess, did have a resuscitator at the house, but it was being used to bring back... Bob Merrick after he suffered a boat accident. So 
the entire town is very upset because there's actually a quote from one of the doctors at the hospital, Dr. Phillips died so that Bob could live. What a complete waste. <laughs> so if that, that basically gives the impression of how people see this Bob character. And I don't know how you felt, Matt, but like there were just so many moments that were like pulling at my heartstrings. Yeah, like, I mean, definitely... It. Towards the end, I think I think for me the the whole beginning sequence was just a lot all at once. I wasn't, I you know, I didn't like know that that's how that movie was going to open, so I wasn't ready to like be upset or whatever. Right, and that's the other thing I should mention too. It is set in this like very picturesque like lake town, so it's absolutely beautiful. And I agree. Like I did not expect the opening scene to be like right. oh. Well, Someone and correct died. me if I'm wrong, but weren't Jane Wyman and, it, and Rock Hudson, like, just after watching this movie, I looked them up and it looks like they were kind of almost like a Hollywood duo that would always kind of be put together in romance movies. But I haven't seen any other ones. Surprisingly, I have not seen a lot of Rock Hudson's films, but while I was watching it with uh, Ben, my husband, he pointed out as well that Jane Wyman was actually quite older than Rock Hudson, which I thought was pretty cool as well. Um, Cause most of the time when you see couples or relationships on screen, the woman mm-hmm. ends up being so much younger than the guy. But in this case that was reversed, which was interesting. But the other piece is this movie I found to your point, how it kind of throws all of this information out at once, but it also doesn't yeah. ever really stop. <clears throat> like, Things just perpetually get worse for Helen. She actually ends up suffering an accident, again, because of Bob Merrick, which ends up leaving her blind, which that was a turn that that I was was not seeing Caught me totally off guard. (laughs) You know, so now you have this lady, like not only did her husband pass away after a very short-lived marriage, but now she is also blind. And you know, again, I would say she's probably middle aged. So suffering such an accident at that age, obviously, is traumatic, you know, because now she can't see so she has to have somebody help her with her day to day life. She also learned that her husband really didn't even have that much money, because he was apparently a saint, he was like giving his money away to different people to like help them with their life troubles, but also asking the people like, don't say anything. Like, I'm just, I'm helping you because I want to, and I can. So there's, there's just a lot of thing, emotional messaging going on. It's a very heavy film. Yeah. I don't, don't let me get off on too much of a tangent, but when this whole idea of the, the doctor's philosophy about, um, that you just talked about, I don't know how best to describe it, but the philosophy of if you, if you spend your life in service, basically, then you'll have a more fulfilling life. It reminded me a lot right. <laughs> of this movie called Pay It Forward, if maybe anyone has seen that, with, like, young Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, yeah. I have I'm, not seen right. that, well, but I I've And I think it just, it. it just, the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I think it, like, hits perfectly on what we were talking about earlier and, like, the difference between a movie that is cathartic versus a movie that's just sad. And Pay It Forward, like, has this same theme of like doing just that, paying paying it forward, but it ends in such an awful, awful way <laughs> that there's just like no hope. 
<laughs> yeah, it was real. Yeah, I was like, I will never watch that movie. Like, I actively, I don't dislike a lot of movies because I think it's kind of a miracle that a movie even gets made at all. But that movie, I don't like. Like, I do not like that movie. Mm-hmm. Well, and with Magnificent Obsession, to your point, like what we've been talking about, why I feel this makes for a good movie to answer this question is it does start off really bleak. But then throughout, you see these characters change and grow. That so by the much end, hope. Yeah, that last scene is. And, and that's what I'm talking about is you can see a future for those characters afterwards, like a really a beautiful future for them. And that's what makes it so gut wrenching. And yeah, especially after like all the hardship, I feel that the character of Helen goes through. It really leaves you on a high note. You're like, OK, this lady is going to be OK and things yeah. are going to work out. Yeah, and it's that upward turn, like that, I mean, because I'm an easy cry at movies, but it's kind of that upward turn or that, you know, uh, or a character's realization at the end that like things are going to be okay and they are going to get through this or, you know, they've realized something about themselves. Like those are the things that that get me, like they're really sad and, and maudlin stuff usually doesn't make me cry unless it just hits me in a way that I'm not expecting. But it is that sort of like heartwarming kind of like tease of hope, like you know, things are going to work out stuff that usually will almost definitely get me, get me crying. Yeah. I I think to your point about the movies where it's too real, those will often Mm -hmm. make me just ball, you know? And I think that's why I brought up about the Florida project. There are certain movies that I, they make me cry and I'm just, I'm never going to watch it again because I don't want to feel that way. And it's not saying that it's not a good movie. It's a great movie, but I just I yeah, can't that, handle it. Yeah, that's super real. <laughs> you have to you have to like you have to feel that boundary within yourself. <laughs> like which I think is this is just making me think deeper about my my choice of stepmom is I feel like it really like teeters on the line of of that. I feel I feel like it, it could be very polarizing in this specific sense and that some people like me might watch it and be like, oh I like how beautiful like would watch that again over and over and then some i could 100 percent understand the other side where like you rosalie like you actively avoided it for years and years after seeing it that one time and and that has happened to me with a few movies i find from my youth especially because i like cemented in my mind like oh this is what it's about you know and then i have gone back and watched movies again older and I'll have a totally yeah. different opinion of them <laughs> at this point. It was just that maybe when I watched it then, I was going through something or felt a certain way. And especially with horror films, I find that to be true. Like, oh my gosh, I was so scared of that when Hundred- I watched it. And then I watched it no, again. No, 100%. I can't believe 100%, I, was I relate to that. The whole Child's Play series for me was was that. Yeah, <laughs> I lived. I lived in constant fear of Chucky doll growing up, and then yeah. I rewatched Wait. them in high school and was like, "This is funny." I have heard that often about that series in particular. I have another friend of mine that just refuses to revisit them because the doll is so haunting to her. Yeah, I, I had never seen those uh, until your birthday party, uh, Rosalie, right. because the like cover art for the vhs's had scarred me so, so much sc- in the isn't that so real child, though so. i can think of right. at least three movies off the top of my head that like going into blockbuster as a little nine-year-old i would have to like 
run past these VHS covers. Like I could not handle seeing yeah. like Dead Silence. I don't know if you could. It's this like ventrilo this really bad ventriloquist dummy movie. That tape. Oh. Yeah, something about yeah, dolls, y'all. I don't doll. know what it is, but <laughs> I would like sprint. Yeah, for me it was the the child's plays the child's play movie, and then the uh, Silence of the Lambs cover because like I could not understand what was going on with like there's this woman <laughs> she has a moth over her mouth the moth has a skull on it like what the hell is happening. And of course, now that's like one of my all-time favorite movies, but well, right. um, because it's great and it's, you know, it's it's not not horror, but like it's not at all what like that cover is so it's an amazing piece of design. Yeah, but it's just chilling. And like as a kid, like I had no concept of like at least I knew Chucky was a scary doll and I could like think about that and then like run past it. But that was one where like it just like stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, I don't even understand why I'm so terrified right now. <laughs> Like, what am I even scared of? I don't know, but it, I don't like it. Yeah. So, Ryan, do you think that we convinced you? Are you going to check out Magnificent Obsession? Well, I do have a new rule that I've recently implemented um, as of some recent movie watching, which is that if a movie uh, begins or ends uh, with a shipwreck of any kind, it's a movie that I need to watch. Oh. And so I'm going to call this this boat accident a shipwreck and that oh it's definitely yes the boat it is destroyed yeah so uh so i I will definitely watch it and uh i i don't think i've actually seen any um douglas sirk movies before so it'll be a it'll be a good watch and i have seen jane weinman once and just in uh, larceny inc which is a movie that i feel like i watched recently on uh tcm and there's like a million connections to that movie when I like I'm looking through letterbox, like it'll just pop up in the most random places. Okay. Wait, was Larceny Inc. Was that the suitcase one? Uh, the yes. Suit- Larceny Inc. was the suitcase one directed by Lloyd Bacon. Yes. Okay. You talk, he talked about this one on a previous episode and it just sounded, it sounded wild. Yeah. It's an Edward G. Robinson uh comedy and rosalie at some point you will have to watch this movie like i need to track down a copy and and buy it because it's it's so fun but like i said it it, it's been popping up in all sorts of weird uh connections and like i'll look at like yeah so cool like i said i i don't know what it is about me but i i rarely cry during a film i think unless i have that connection where it feels real to me but then I also do, I have to confess something as well. I, I have a hard time expressing my emotions in that way. I am someone that will bottle it up. And then all of a sudden, I kind of just burst. And I think that is why when I watch films such as The Florida Project, or as I was mentioning with Stepmom, why I haven't revisited is because if there's like this real connection, it just will get to me. And then I don't like to cry. <laughs> so I avoid it, you know, and I don't know, maybe I should take you both up on this. Like maybe it is good to just have a good cry occasionally, <laughs> but I will say magnificent obsession almost had me crying, which that's why I picked it. But I, I do want Ryan to report back to us after he watches it. You may cry Ryan when the boat is destroyed. <laughs> yes, I I I may I may cry for the boat. Yeah. Because also the boat 
honestly does resemble like a race car. And I don't know if you know this, but Ryan has another show where he talks about racing. Yes. And I, and I've been watching, I've been watching a lot of racing movies, very few of which have made me cry, but you know, there's always a chance. Yeah. And this could open up your eyes to like high speed boat chases and you may try to go find more boat racing films. Certainly. Well, I'll just leave you both on this note. After watching the movie, I kept thinking about, would I rather not be able to taste or be blind? And I realized, I think I would rather be blind. Well, I mean, but Rosalie, the movie. I, I know. You know what? You and, know what? And, You're right. I didn't think of that. And here's, okay. the, th- here's the thing. I'm not going to taste anymore. The taste, like... Fifty percent of taste is smell. So if you lose taste and you still have smell, yeah, you'll still get taste. Go, goodbye. Yeah, you'll you'll get some of it. Yeah, you know what? Good point. And I didn't. Eat, oh my god, no taste. <laughs> goodbye. I I'd rather see. You're right. Oh. And I'm clumsy enough as it is. If I if I couldn't see, I'd I'd just be a constant mess of falling down and bumping into things, which I managed to do normally. So I can only imagine how much worse it would be. Wow, what a a mistake I almost made. (laughs) Okay, so before we sign off, I just, I want to remind everyone that you can find a breakdown of the episode on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly zine, which we all write for. And our next issue features jetpacks, flying cars, and robots. That's right, the future. So make sure you subscribe to find a copy in your mailbox. You can follow the show I Saw in a Movie on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie. And if you're seeking movie advice, send us your questions to dear I Saw in a Movie at gmail.com. And how about you guys? Where can people find you? Sure. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd and Instagram at Silver Whatever. Apologies to Matt Crump. It seems we had some trouble with the audio. Thanks for joining on the show, though. You can find Matt's writing over at moviejohn.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at M-M-O-N-E-H, or Instagram at Monehish, which is spelled M as in Mary, O, N as in Nancy, E, H, I, S, H. Thanks again, Matt, and we hope to have you on the show again soon. And I also forgot to mention that we also can get postal mail. So if someone wants to send us an actual letter or even a gift, that would be cool. You can send it to P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA, 19145, and attention, Movie John. And you can find me, Rosalie Kicks, on Twitter at Bonjour Old Sport. And I'm also on Instagram at The Old Sport. But before we close out the show with a piece of advice, did you, either of you want to say anything else? Uh, no, I, I'm good, but I, I do have advice to share from Goodwill Hunting. Okay, cool. This quote comes from uh, Robin Williams' character, Sean. Um, You'll have bad times, but it'll always wake you up to the good stuff that you weren't paying attention to. And, you know, I think that's that's evergreen advice for pretty much anybody, but especially for right now. It's good to think about the things that, you know, have meaning for you and are good, no matter how not great things seem at the moment. Well, thank you for tuning in, and we hope that you join us next time. Until then, bye. Bye Bye-bye.